On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the hardest and 10 being the easiest, how easy do you find it to speak to people about Jesus? In particular, how easy do you find it to speak to somebody who isn't a Christian about Jesus? Now, you may be relieved. I'm not going to ask you to, to give your number to, to shout it out. Um, but I'm guessing that if so I look around the room here, if any of you are like me, the majority of those answers are going to be somewhere on the lower end of the scale, aren't they? Maybe somewhere one to five. Why is that? Why is it so hard? Because it, it just doesn't seem easy, does it, to speak about Jesus? We, we get worried we get anxious, don't we, about the response that we'll face. Or we get concerned that we, we won't know what to say, perhaps, if people come back to us. Or perhaps the truth is we just pack way too many things into our lives for there to be any space to speak about Jesus at all. So what can we do about that? Remember, we're in the book of Acts at the moment in these evening series, and right at the start of the book, Jesus commanded his disciples, didn't he, to be witnesses to himself in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we've been saying as we've been going through, haven't we, that that same commission comes down to us today. Here we are in what Jesus would have then been referring to as the end of the earth. And we are likewise called to be witnesses to him, to speak about him. But as we said, we find it so difficult. So what should we do? Well, I think this is where I think this passage is going to be a great help and encouragement for us, because it meets us in this place. Because in it, I think we're going to see three particular things that can help us, that can prepare us to be those who do boldly proclaim Christ. Boldly proclaim Christ even in the face of strong opposition. As it were, what we have in our passage here this evening is a how-to guide. A how-to guide of how do we as Christians boldly proclaim Christ even when we might come up against opposition. Look with me at how Acts chapter 4 verse 13 puts it if you've got the Bible with you about Peter and John, who've just been speaking about Jesus to the Jewish leaders. Look at what Luke writes. He says there, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. The key word we see there is boldness, isn't it? That's what astonishes these Jewish leaders, who, if you were with us last week, were questioning Peter and John. Despite being brought before this intimidating Jewish council, surrounded by people who are formally trained in the Jewish religion and recognized as such by titles such as priest or, or scribe, here Peter and John still boldly speak about Jesus, proclaiming him even in this hostile environment. So what is it that makes Peter and John do that? And what can we learn from that. First, and this is our first point this evening, I think they are like this. They are bold to proclaim Christ, even in the face of opposition, because, pure and simple, they know Christ, and they know the hope that is found in him. 
Now, to see this, we're going to have to glance back in a moment uh, to last week's passage a little bit. But to begin with, just look with me at the end of verse 13 that we were just reading. The Jewish leaders are astonished at Peter's, Peter and John's boldness, even despite their lack of formal religious training or title. And look there at those words. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. These are great words. Perhaps here there is this physical element. They, they recognize them as the disciples because maybe they've seen them with Jesus. But I think there's also something bigger in play here, bigger at stake. I think what they see here is they realize that Peter and John, they've been with Jesus. They know Jesus. They know the hope that is found in him. They're saying to each other, perhaps, these people, they're speaking a lot like Jesus, aren't they? They must have been with him. These must be his disciples. Do you remember? Look with me at verses 11 and 12, if you've got a Bible there, from what we saw last week. In these verses, Peter is teaching very much like Jesus, isn't he? We mentioned this. Jesus himself quotes from the same psalm, Psalm 118, in his own teaching. He's teaching to the very same people that Peter is speaking to, about the stone the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone. And then in verse 12, Peter has, says it's an exclusive claim, doesn't he, that Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. And Jesus, like we said last week, speaks very similarly. So he says that no one comes to the Father except through him. From all that Peter and John are saying, the Jewish leaders clearly recognize these people know Jesus. They've been with him. And for us to be those who are ready to boldly proclaim Christ to, we're going to need to know Jesus ourselves. We need to, to get to know him more and more, get to know his teaching, get to know what the Bible says about him. We're going to need to saturate ourselves with Jesus' words so that when we do also have an opportunity to speak, like Peter and John, we'll be able to speak clearly and boldly. And people will be able to say, these people know Jesus. Here's a good test for you. If someone came up to you right now and said, right, you have one minute. Tell me, what is it that you believe? Would you know what to say? If we're going to boldly proclaim Christ, we're going to need to know Christ and the hope found in him and be able to speak about him. Because otherwise, inevitably, we're going to back out, aren't we? Because we're going to be uncertain of what we're saying. So given that, let's make it our continued aim here at Great Vic to continue to know Christ better. We're never ever going to plumb the depths of the riches of his grace poured out on us. But the more we do begin to plumb those depths, well, the more ready we're going to be to speak about him. Because we're also going to have him in our hearts. And linked to that, there's a second thing there in verses 11 and 12 about why we need to know Christ and the hope found in him if we're going to boldly proclaim him, even when people come against us. See, not only does knowing the hope of Christ found in him equip us to speak about him, it also should push us to want to speak about him. Look again at verse 12. Peter says, and there is salvation in no one else. What is it that even though Peter and John knew it was going to be unpopular, made them speak about Jesus anyway? 
was because they knew, they were convinced that these people, these Jewish leaders in front of them, they needed to know about Jesus. There is salvation only in him. See, Peter rightly understands that, doesn't he? Apart from hearing about Christ, turning to him, coming to him, these Jewish leaders, they have no hope. Sure, Peter, I guess he could have backed out, couldn't he, in this kind of situation. He could have perhaps mumbled something under his breath about Jesus, apologized that they'd been offended and sort of tried to sneak himself out. But no, Peter is convinced, isn't he? He is convinced that if these Jewish leaders are going to be saved, they need to know and hear about Jesus and the forgiveness that's found in him. So that's what he does. He tells them. And so it is for us too. If we today are going to boldly proclaim Christ, even if it means facing opposition, we have to be convinced and know know Jesus' words. Know that there is a glorious future hope in him. Remember, we are proclaiming that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not, sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. We're proclaiming life, good news to the people. But also, we're going to need to remind ourselves of Jesus' words that we just heard a minute ago, that no one comes to the Father except through him, except through Jesus. That good news that we have to share is found in Jesus alone. So that means that we can't just sit back this evening and say, well, each to their own. No, we can't say that. Because if we know the exclusive hope found in Jesus, we need to tell people about him. They need to hear. This is what compels Peter to speak, even in this kind of situation. And this is what should compel us to speak to, to strike up the courage to speak to our brother or our sister, to speak to our work colleague, to speak to our longtime friend, to speak to our next-door neighbor, even when we don't know how they'll respond. Because we know and trust that in Jesus there is life. Truly, it is a matter of life and death for that person that we are speaking to, whether they come to know Christ or not. Now, what I'm not saying here is that we necessarily always have to go like Peter does. Go, in some ways, for the jugular. That's what he seems to do, doesn't he, in these words. Tell people about their sin straight off. Call them to to repent every single time we speak to people. There can and hopefully will be a time and a place for that. And we should be ready and prepared to do that. But we also have to be aware that for others to hear this kind of message, some more groundwork may be needed. Groundwork that will then result, hopefully, in future opportunities as well. That groundwork could include just continuing on in living faithful Christian lives. Isn't that what we've been thinking about in the book of Daniel recently? knowing that as we do that, people are seeing us. And they will ask us, why is it that your life's different? And then we need to be ready when they do to say, let me tell you, it's because of Jesus. That groundwork could also include just beginning to speak more openly about being a Christian with others around you. Opening up opportunities for future conversations. Maybe at work tomorrow morning, when people ask you about your weekend, perhaps they're just being polite, but, but you could this evening proactively think, 
Well, how can I speak about being a Christian? I can speak about going to church. Maybe think this evening of one thing that you thought about, that your conversation that you had that could maybe just begin to strike a chord for somebody else so that they can ask us about it. In our small groups on Wednesday, for those who are involved, we were thinking about meekness, weren't we? And how it's something to be sought after, unlike what the world often says. Well, wouldn't that be an interesting way to start a conversation? Say, do you know what? Last night we were in a Bible study, and it was saying about how the meek will inherit the earth. What do you think of that? That's pretty bold, isn't it? It's pretty different. And then see where the conversation goes. Be proactively looking for ways to talk about being a Christian. Often, too, it's really helpful, I think, to have something intentional to hand out to somebody, to give them to go away and read and think about in their own time. And in that way, uh, with Christmas coming up, we've ordered 100 copies of this book called The Four Emotions of Christmas that are free at the back there for anyone to pick up if they'd like. And the idea here is just, just for you to go away and read this book and then to think, as you're reading it, who could I share this book with? Who could I give it on to, to, for them to look through? It's a really short book, I think about 60 pages, very small, quite big print, so there's nothing daunting in it. And it's, and it's very, very accessible, very friendly, very helpful. And what it just tries to do, pure and simple, is show that at Christmas, the things that we are seeking, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, well, ultimately, we're going to be disappointed if we're looking for it in the trappings of Christmas. We're only going to find it if we go to Christ. It's a really helpful book for that. Uh, and so if you uh, think that might be something you could do, do take one of those away, take it home, have a glance through it, read through it, and then start be praying now. Who is it that I can give this to in the weeks ahead that then might provoke some conversation and prompt some of that? The thing is, as we do something like that, we give a book or we start a conversation, we run the risk, don't we, of people not liking it. But again, look at the example of Peter and John here. They must have known, mustn't they, that that what they were saying probably wasn't going to go down well. They may well even suffer as a result of what they're saying, but they know this is what they need to do. They are compelled to speak about Jesus. In a way, they're actually loving these Jewish leaders most by being willing even to suffer at their hands. Peter and John knew Christ and the hope found in him alone. So as a result, they boldly proclaim him, no matter the consequences. And as we see their example, let's look for us to be the same. Look for opportunities for us to likewise know Christ, know that hope, and so then go out and speak about him. Because people really do need to hear about him. He is the hope for the world. All right, so that's our first in our how-tos of how to boldly proclaim Christ even in the face of opposition. Here's our second then that we're going to see this evening. And that is that we need to fear and obey God rather than man. In verse 14, we read that even though they didn't like what Peter had been saying, the Jewish leaders couldn't say anything against them because the man who Peter had healed was standing with them. So in verse 15, they have them sent away for a little while so they can discuss what to do. This is their their plotting. And look there in verse 16. This is what they say to each other. 
What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn, that's the same word, threaten, threaten them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And then we read in verse 18 that that is exactly what they do. Charge, they charge Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. We read last week that Peter and John were put in prison overnight, awaiting for this trial. But here is the first time we read of clear, direct opposition because of Jesus. And the question is, how are they going to respond? This is the big moment in the book of Acts, isn't it? When we come to it. Is this just going to be the end? Verse 19, so Peter and John answered them and said, okay, if you say so, we'll stop talking about Jesus. And they then returned to their fellow apostles and believers and and tell them to do the same. After all, we could die as a result of this. What would be the purpose in that? But of course, that's not what verse 19 says. And this isn't the end of the book. In fact, as we look at it, we're still really only in the beginning, aren't we? Look at how they actually respond in verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. How is it that Peter and John can be threatened not to speak about Jesus but still go on doing that? Only that as we see in these verses, they are seeking to fear and obey God, not man. We see this uh, right near the start of their reply, don't we? As they begin, but what they say, they say, whether it is right in the sight of God. Already there, as they begin to set the scene for their answer, Peter and John are making something clear to the Jewish leaders. They're saying, listen, we are not just standing before you. We are also standing before God. He is seeing and judging all that we do. And it's implicit there, isn't it, that they're saying, well, actually, God is the most important person that we stand before. He is the one who watches us, and we want to do what he wants. They go on, don't they, then, to say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Jesus, as we said, has already explicitly commanded his apostles, Peter and John and other believers, to be his witnesses, to go on speaking about him. And they're not about to stop just because of this threat. Notice the way that Peter and John pretty much say here, listen, there's not even a choice to be made. Verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. This isn't an option. Of course we're going to listen to God, not you. After all, who is God? And who are you? In Psalm 56, David also finds himself in in danger. He's seized and captured by the Philistines. And I think we see in some of his words what's also going on here in Peter and John's. Listen to these words from Psalm, uh, Psalm 56, verses 11 to 13. David says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. 
I guess David could have turned his back on the Lord, just as Peter and John could have, but he knows, doesn't he, all that his God has done for him. He's delivered his soul from death. And Peter and John know that same hope of deliverance, don't they? Deliverance from death through Jesus. So given that, given that hope, that stability, what can man do to me? What a great question. Yes, man can even deliver them and us over to death in the here and now. But we have a hope, don't we, that goes beyond that. An unshakable, eternal hope in our God through the Lord Jesus. It would be so much worse, wouldn't it, for fear of man to turn our backs on God, go the other direction, just for the sake of a few extra trouble-free years, perhaps, here on earth. Not that we're even promised those. Only then to find ourselves cut off from God for eternity to come. We must hear these words from Peter and John and be challenged ourselves. Who do we fear? Who do we want to serve? Perhaps none of us this evening are facing specific threats for speaking about Jesus, although we know that so many people around the world still are. But as we said at the beginning, there is no doubt that fear of man still plays a huge role in our reticence, our reluctance, our slowness to speak about Jesus. We worry, don't we, what people will say. Will they just not be interested? And I guess that will hurt a little bit. Or perhaps, well, they, perhaps they're going to actively sneer and mock and, and begin talking about us behind our backs. And we worry that if speaking about Jesus, well, it might have a long-term impact on, on my employment prospects or, or on my reputation. But in Peter and John, we see here modeled something that's so helpful for us. We see an overall attitude here of seeking to fear God above all. See, if we are Christians here this evening, we too know that in God and God alone, we have all the security and all the hope we need. And we too have been commanded to speak about Jesus, to be his witnesses, to make disciples of all nations. And so we need to ask for God's help in this. God's help to day by day diminish our fear of man and obey his commands. Remembering that phrase, what can man do to me? And go for it. Speak about Jesus. Steve often talks about this, doesn't he? I think in this, these words are 20 seconds of courage. And I think that courage will only come when we have this kind of attitude of rightly fearing God rather than man. Again, we don't have to do this all gung-ho, full gospel presentation every single time, but we need to pray and actively look for opportunities to speak about Jesus. Whenever and wherever those opportunities arise. Remembering that all that we do is in the sight of God. And that he has promised to help us in that moment and beyond. And he will never leave us or forsake us, no matter what that response of that person is like. At this point, can I also just encourage you too? It's crucial to remember that despite what we might think and what we often tell ourselves, the response will not always be negative. Even here tonight, there will be many of us who are Christians here because of other people who have spoken to us. 
Perhaps it's, it's friends or family. Perhaps it's a work colleague. It would be fascinating, wouldn't it, to go around this evening and to hear who was it that spoke to each of us about Jesus. And we've responded if we've come to Christ. Perhaps we didn't want to hear it to begin with. Perhaps we wouldn't have said we were interesting, interested, but God today is continuing his work through the faithful witness of his people. He is growing his church and his kingdom, and we can be absolutely sure of that. So even as we might face some hostile responses to speaking about Jesus, others will respond positively. The reason for that, I think, is simple. Because whether other people know it now or not, what we are speaking about is the best news that they will ever hear. News that actually, deep down, does satisfy each and every single human being's longings and desires. Their deepest longings, their deepest desires are satisfied in Christ. Do you remember how Peter summarized it a few weeks ago? He said this, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that one, your sins may be blotted out. Two, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And three, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Forgiveness, refreshing, hope. We speak about Jesus to people because with him come these life-transforming realities, the best news ever, and people will respond. Right, so that's our second how-to this evening, how to boldly proclaim Christ in the face of opposition. Here's our third then, and it's pretty simple, but still something that, amazingly, we often fail to do, and that is pray. In verses 21 to 22, we see, don't we, that the Pharisees, unlike Peter and John, are controlled by fear of man. They see the popularity of Peter and John. So, so in the end, in verse 23, we read that Peter and John are released, and they go back to the fellow believers and share what has happened to them. And look what we then read their first response is, to pray. Look at verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. This in itself, without going on into the prayer, is a great example, isn't it? Facing opposition, being threatened, these early Christians' first response is to go to God. It isn't to turn in on themselves, to weep and cry together, to despair, but instead they look up to their God and they speak with him. How I wish this was more and more my first instinct. Not just when facing opposition, speaking about Jesus, but in so many different areas of life. Rather than spending so much time worrying about it myself or speaking with others around me, go to God. I wish I would do that more. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Let's ask for God's help to go to him first in all aspects of our lives. But specifically now, let's get on into the prayer because it's really striking what they pray. Even facing opposition, look with me at verse 24. They begin, don't they, by honoring God and remembering who he is. That he is the creator, first of all, of all things. And then in verses 25 to 28, they together remember God's sovereignty that he is the sovereign ruler over all things, that all things work, as they say there in verse 28, according to God's plan that he had predestined to take place. 
In particular, here they're speaking about Jesus, aren't they? And how his coming to earth to suffer had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. They quote here from Psalm 2. And how then it was actually the opposition that he faced, that Jesus faced, that served to fulfill God's promise and plan. Why do these believers begin by praying like this? I think for all sorts of good reasons, but here are a couple for us to consider. First of all, as they pray like this, they together are remembering who God is. They're reminding themselves that he is the mighty ruler who is in control of all things, who can do all things. After all, he made all things. They've just been threatened by these Jewish leaders, but who are they compared to God? This is a a kind of David and Goliath situation of the New Testament, I think. Compared to these influential, learned Jewish leaders who were opposing these early Christians, well, who are they? They seem so small. But what did David do when faced with Goliath? What did these early Christians do when faced with these leaders? They looked to God. They looked to God because they knew that he is so much greater, so much more powerful than anyone who could come against them. Isn't that so helpful for us to remember as we go out into our weeks? But not only that, I think these opening words in this prayer also show the early believers' understanding that God's purposes are not thwarted by opposition, but can and still and even are worked out amongst them. After all, Jesus faced this greatest of opposition, didn't he? Ultimately, sending him to die an undeserved death on the cross. But God was still at work, accomplishing his purposes. And so if that's the case, we can be pretty sure that God is still doing the same today. He is still working things out according to his plan, even when people are coming against his people. This must have been a great comfort to Peter and John and the others And it should be for us too. It isn't that when we face opposition, we've done something wrong. It's gone outside of God's plan. No, as we face opposition, we are simply following our suffering Savior's example, his footsteps. And God can and will work through even those difficult situations according to his purpose and plan to bring people to know him. And so given that, knowing that God works even despite opposition, even through opposition. What do these believers then do? Well, first off, they present their situation, don't they? Verse 29, they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. They know all things are in God's sight, so they ask God to consider the specific opposition that they are facing, those threats, and then they ask for God's help. In particular, they ask for God's emboldening. And the rest of verse 29, they ask, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Can you see here how this section in Acts is held together by that word? Boldness. It's where we began there in verse 13 and here, and then as the final word in verse 31 as well, it is repeated. Boldness. How can these early believers and and us today have this boldness to proclaim Christ? Well, it's only ever with God's help. And so that's what we need to ask him for. 
like these first believers here. The reality is that apart from God's strength and enabling, fear of man will overwhelm us. And we will shrink back about talking about Jesus. But God can give us the strength, the internal courage through his spirit to embolden us, to continue proclaiming Christ even when we don't know how people will respond. Here's a good summary, I think, of the prayer that one commentator writes. He says that here the believers were praying something like this. Lord, in the face of opposition, don't let us weaken. Don't let us compromise. Please keep working out your purposes and please keep us working for your purposes. That'd be a great prayer for us all to be praying, wouldn't it? And it's one I've printed out there. Hopefully you've got a slip of paper somewhere around you or on the seat in front of you. These would be great prayers, wouldn't it? And particularly as they build up to Christmas, as we think about opportunities that we might have to speak about Jesus, we need to be praying. We won't all be facing opposition at the moment, but as we do, we can expect there to be some. So let's go on praying like this and pray for those moments when we will face opposition to be able to press on speaking for Christ. And as we pray like this and then ask for God to continue to be at work through Christ, which is what they do there in verse 30, we can pray these things expectantly, knowing that these are prayers God will answer. Look at how God immediately does that in verse 31. We read these incredible words earlier. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The believers asked for boldness and that is exactly what they got. As the Spirit falls, he strengthens their resolve and they go on proclaiming Christ, which is what we're going to read about in the rest of the book. They go on proclaiming Christ no matter the cost, no matter the consequences. And do you know what? If we ask God, he too can do the same for us today. We likewise have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who can shake us from our fear. Fear of man and remind us who our God is and who will help us. We read in the, in, from Jesus' words, the Spirit will help us and teach us to know what to say when we are speaking with others. And that same Spirit can embolden us to press on as faithful witnesses to Christ to the end, no matter what comes our way. So as we go on into our weeks ahead of us here and as we come up to the Christmas period where there might be more opportunities, we pray, hopefully, to speak about Jesus. Let's ask for God's help. Let's ask for God's help as we do that. Let's remember and remind ourselves, remind each other regularly of who Christ is and the hope that is found in him and in him alone. Let's seek each day to fear and obey God first, not man. And then let's pray. Pray every single day for God's emboldening, his strength. Because it's only ever in his strength that we will be able to do any of this. So let's pray now for that help as we close. Grant to your servants 
to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Father, thank you so much for the example of Peter and John and the early believers here who did exactly that, who despite opposition, despite threats, continued to speak about Jesus. Lord, please would you grant that to us too this evening. Lord, would your spirit fill us this evening, tomorrow morning. Give us those 20 seconds of courage. Lord, to be ready to speak about our hope to ready to tell other people about the good news of Jesus. Lord, we pray as well for this against the fear of man. Lord, we know how weak we are, how quickly other people's words can cut us, can, can make us shrink back. Lord, please would you help us to rightly want to serve you and honor you above all. And please, Lord, even as people might come back against us, Lord, would you help remind us that we are holding out good news to them, even if they might not know it. And Lord, as we do that, we do ask that as we see in the rest of this book of Acts, in these coming chapters, more and more and more people turning to Christ as those believers witness to him. Lord, please would we see that here in this place. Lord, we ask that for this upcoming Christmas period. Lord, please would more and more people, as they hear about Jesus, turn to him. Find forgiveness, find refreshing, find hope. Lord, give us boldness to be ready to go and share that good news. And please would you grow your kingdom in this place and right around the world, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to finish by singing this song, O Church. Arises. It calls us as the church to go out. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. And then the final verse there, so spirit come, put strength in every stride. Let's pray these things and sing them out as we close this evening.
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.